Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Dead Letters podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the story so far. First up, I want to apologize for my voice. I'm getting over a cold, but thankfully I recorded today's episode in advance, so you won't have to put up with this much longer. Today's episode will be a bit on the shorter side, but the next episode, episode four, will be a bit longer. So just keep in mind that not every episode is gonna be exactly the same as the episode before it in terms of length. Also, before we begin, I want to share some news. I will be interviewed on the show Your Podcast or Mine this coming Thursday, that's September the 5th, so keep an eye out for that. Also, the Dead Letters podcast was listed in the top 10 drama podcasts to listen and subscribe to in 2019 on Feedspot's blog, so big thanks to those guys for the recognition. I also wanted to bring your attention to one of my favorite short story narration podcasts, Stories of Your and Yours. Back in March, the show produced one of my short stories, Nature is Cruel, But So Am I. I also hear that Sean, who is the show's host, will be covering Edgar Allan Poe's The Fall of the House of Usher, which is my favorite Edgar Allan Poe story, if not my favorite horror short story. So be on the lookout for that because Sean's narration of these creepy gothic stories is just amazing. I will have links to all of these things that I just mentioned in the description so you can find them a bit easier. And for the quick recap, in episode 2 we learned that it was Marco who had been following Fiona as the result of Morgan and her ex-boyfriend cruelly catfishing him. Marco gives Fiona her next letter from Charlotte, which brings us to today's episode. The Dead Letters Podcast, Episode 3, The Red Lantern. What is it? asked Marco. I sat next to him, holding what I'd come to refer to in the future as my second dead letter. My eyes flicked across Charlotte's old-fashioned handwriting, but I couldn't focus on a single word. How could this be? Another one? So soon? Why is this happening to me? It's... I tried to explain to him. It's very bad news. Did someone in your family get sick or something? He asked. Not quite, but honestly, it feels just as bad, I told him with my eyes bubbling up with tears. He rose from his seat at the table and gently rubbed my back. I gave Marco a strange look, but before either of us could say anything, I heard keys jingle at the front door and I rushed to unlock the deadbolt. It was Grace and Morgan. Speak of the devil. Hey, did you hear? Morgan was about to ask me something, but then stopped in her tracks at the sight of Marco. Her face went ghost white, and I could tell she knew she had been caught. Morgan, what the hell? I screamed at her. How could you catfish poor Marco here? And with my identity? What is wrong with you? Whoa, this sounds like none of my business, said Grace as she tiptoed past us and dashed to her room. Morgan, still tipsy from a night of drinking, inched her way closer to the hallway into the light of the kitchen. It was supposed to be a joke, she started, but it got way out of hand. Sit your ass down and explain, I commanded, pointing at the seat closest to her. Okay, mom, she said in a sassy tone. I lunged at her, wanting to tear her to pieces. She ducked away from me and sat down just like I asked. Marco and I leered over her as she told her story. Remember that guy, Anthony, I dated last month? She asked. Was he the ripped black guy or the one with the man bun? Man bun, she answered, shifting in her seat uncomfortably. You see, Anthony was friends with Marco's old roommate, Dylan, and Dylan told him how badly Marco had a crush on you. Marco crossed his arms and looked away. Well, continued Morgan, 
He thought it was pathetic that Marco didn't have the balls to ask you out, so Anthony came up with this little prank. He asked me to give Marco a fake phone number, saying it was yours, and then they were gonna have a little fun with him. I thought it was just a practical joke and it would be over within a day or so. Morgan, that's awful. How could you? I grasped my face in embarrassment and disgust at what my friend did to this poor kid. Morgan puts her blonde braid in her mouth and starts chewing on it, a weird nervous habit of hers. Knock that off. That's gross, I said, slapping the braid out of her mouth. I'm sorry. Really. For the both of you. She looked up at us, pleading for sympathy. <sighs> I released a heavy sigh. I can't even look at you right now. Please, just leave. Fine, she said, then trudged up the stairs to her bedroom. I turned to Marco, who looked even more humiliated than before. I'm really sorry about this, I told him again. It's not your fault. I shouldn't have come barging in here like a maniac in the first place, he said. Not knowing what to say, I just nodded. I think I'll be going now, he said, walking towards the door. I came along with him and opened it. He turned back to look at me and paused. The look his eyes gave me was one of longing and sadness. I gave him a small smile to let him know I wasn't mad. He turned away and walked into the darkness. My rage at Morgan for participating in such a cruel prank made my blood boil. I had to get out of that house. Grabbing my coat, my wallet, and the letter from Charlotte, I walked ten blocks into town to the closest restaurant I could find. The Red Lantern. A small but delicious Chinese restaurant that made most of its money on takeout, leaving the inside empty to customers. Tonight, there were only two other tables in use. I picked an empty one for myself towards the back. The waitress came over and I put in an order for sweet and sour shrimp, the only Chinese dish I'll eat. As soon as she left, I pulled out the letter. I read, studying each word closely. June 30th, 1875. Dear Fiona, You must be surprised to be hearing from me again so soon. I am too. The window into your life has opened wide for me this time. I have been allowed by the powers that be to see deeper into your life and to learn things about you that you do not know yourself. My dearest Fiona, for reasons you must discover for yourself, you are very precious to me. Your very existence means that I have not failed in a way that I had long since feared I had. I want to take a moment to tell you about what my life is like right now. I want you to understand me more before I warn you of the newest dangers to come. We have just passed the first days of summer. The sun is up early, and it casts a bright heavenly glow upon the earth. From my room, I can look out to the ground before me, the quaint rose garden where I sit for an hour each day, the wide grassy lawn that stretches before this red brick building I must inhabit. It is truly beautiful, especially when I'm allowed long walks around the island. Exercise, but not too much exercise, is believed to be good for women in my condition. From the opposite end of the lawn, you can see the building that has become my home for the last five years. It looks like a castle from a Germanic fairy tale. This castle is on an island in the middle of a glassy blue lake. It is a truly lovely sight. I wish you could see this, to experience what I've seen. It would comfort me enough for someone else to bear witness to my existence since I feel so lonely here. I do have a feeling that one day you might come here, see what I've seen, walk the grounds that I've walked, sit in the furniture I used to sit in. Maybe one day. Yet, you may not have the chance to come here, even if you wanted to, if you do not listen to my next set of rules. 
I know this may be alarming, but I am here to protect you, not to scare you. Think of me as a fairy godmother in a way. The first rule applies only to the next seven minutes that you are reading this letter. Tell the nervous man with the dark hair, water does not put out a grease fire. I look up from the letter. It can't be. She can't tell what's going to happen in the next seven minutes, especially since I got this letter later than she expected me to. Could that even be possible? I stopped asking myself these questions when the fry cook stepped away from his station, leaving a greasy pile of beef and vegetables sizzling on the pan. My eyes shifted back and forth from the pan to the clock. It's 8.05. It was 8.03 when I opened the letter. Five minutes left. As the seconds ticked on, steam rose off the pan, and the smell of cooking meat became pungent in the air. If you weren't paying attention, it wouldn't be alarming. The sound of a sizzling pan, the smell of cooking food, isn't something unusual to find in a restaurant. But I was watching, and the chef hadn't returned to his workstation. It's 8.08, and a busboy comes into sight. He fills up a pitcher of water to the right of the cooking pan. The pan bursts into flames. The busboy lets out a panic scream and lifts the pitcher over the stove. Don't! I rise to my feet and lunge over the table. You can't put a grease fire out with water! He stopped what he was doing and stared at me, panic widening his eyes and his mouth. Smother it! called out a middle-aged man who had been reading a book at a different table. The busboy threw a large dish towel over the flames, squelching the fire. The waitress came running out from the back and apologized to the customers. It seemed impossible. Charlotte knew everything, and she just prevented a disaster from taking place over a hundred years in the future. My hands shook as I resumed reading the letter. Now, if you avoided dying in the fire, pay attention to the next two rules. If you have not, then obviously this is irrelevant, but because I know you, I could place a bet on your survival and come out filthy rich. The second rule involves the true danger I tried to warn you about in my first letter. There are many dangers that lurk in your life, and you are far too innocent, even naive, to see them. Some are under your very nose. When I received my first window into your life, it was not very detailed or encompassing as this newest window. While I was correct about the meat, I was wrong about the man in the shadows. I only saw him follow you. I didn't see him weeping. I didn't see his pain or notice the look of love in his eyes. You do not need to fear him anymore. He might even be an asset to you in the future. However, this rule does involve the true source of imminent danger that I was feeling the first time I visited your life. To avoid this life-threatening event, you must throw away all blue pills in your house, and you must not be in a room that has more than one lit candle. My third rule requires you to find the woman who gave you the first letter from me. But only you must do this once you've survived the dangerous situation I've warned you about in the paragraph above. I have seen so much of your life that I have prepared another letter for you, but a different you, a version of yourself that exists in the future. It is this woman's duty to provide you with the instructions in said letter. If you fail, I cannot give you the vital information you need to save your life. And if the woman fails to give you this last letter, it will lead to the worst tragedy a person can face. 
You must not hesitate to find her. Once you're certain you've avoided and endured the danger that is brewing in your life. Do not look for her earlier. She will not help you. You must face this battle alone. I know you have the courage to survive this trying time. I know that after this crucible, your gift to the world will be unleashed and you will have a long and healthy life. Please listen to my warnings. With all the love in my heart, Charlotte. As I finished reading the letter, I buried my head in my hands. Every rational cell in my brain was telling me that this was not possible. But the smell of burnt food that hung in the air told me it very much was. The Den Letters Podcast is written and produced by me, VP Morris. If you enjoyed today's episode, please help support the show by leaving a five-star review. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next one.